are so many fascinating things to talk about in this next story. It's a step towards completely mapping the human brain. But researchers started with a fruit fly larva that has a brain the size of a grain of salt. Despite that, though, it still took about 12 years to map all of the neurons and all of the synapses and connections. It ended up being the most complex map of a whole brain ever made. What can we learn about this and from the process too? Well, Dr. Joshua Vogelstein is with us now, an assistant professor in the Department of Biomedical Engineering at Johns Hopkins University. Thank you so much for joining us. It's my pleasure. Why the fruit fly? Well, to be honest, the fruit fly was the largest thing we could do with the available technology. Really? Considering how small the size of a brain is in a fruit fly, why is that? Well, so there's about 3,000 neurons and about half a million connections. And the idea is that the neurons and connections are very small on the order of nanometers, so significantly thinner than a human hair. To get images of that high resolution, we needed to slice the brain up into thousands of tiny little slices and then get terabytes of image data, manually trace every single process in the brain, and, um, and then reconstruct it. That whole process took about a decade. To do it on the next largest animal, which would have been, say, an adult Drosophila, it's 100 times bigger, so it would have taken 100 times longer. Okay, so what does that tell us, Dr. Vogelstein, about the likelihood of us ever being able to do this for the human brain? Well, it'll be complicated, to say the least. Um, There's plans to do it in a mouse. People would like to think that we can do it in a mouse in about a decade. The technology accelerates very quickly. There's lots of investment in this area. There's also real questions of how valuable is it in a human. With uh, Drosophila, it's evolved over hundreds of millions of years, and the brain is very, very specific. So basically, every Drosophila will have a relatively similar connectome or set of connections. In humans, it's all very different. And so it's not clear if we actually need that level of resolution in humans to understand things about our brain. Okay, so what can we learn, though, about the brain of the fruit fly? What was so valuable about this? Well, fruit flies are amazing. They can do all sorts of complicated things like decision-making, navigation, and they can even learn. So we believe, and lots of other people believe, that much of that is conserved. So the ways that humans and fruit flies make decisions and learn uh, and navigate are some of which they're the same. And so by understanding them in the fruit fly, hopefully we can understand them better also in the humans. Okay, so how do we use this information then? Well, it's a start. This data set is a reference data set, which means now we can start asking questions of if we change things, how does that change the brain and how does that reflect behavior? So, for example, people may be familiar with dopamine because it's involved in all sorts of addiction and pleasure and things like that. We can look and say, take out all the dopamine neurons in the fruit supply and see how that impacts addiction or addiction-seeking behaviors and things like that, and hopefully use that to develop better understanding better treatment for addiction. Oh, that's fascinating. Well, what did you learn that surprised you? Well, one of the really interesting things is that there's a canonical idea of how neurons work. There's an output part called the axon and an input part called the dendrite. And the, the idea for most of neuroscience is that the way neurons communicate with each other is they send information through the axon and then it's received by a dendrite. And it turns out in this fruit fly, that was not the case all the time. It's about two-thirds of the time that's the case. But sometimes axons communicate to other axons. 
sometimes dendrites communicate to dendrites and dendrites communicate to axons. Okay, so I'm trying to follow along here with this. So this is clearly learning a lot here. Can we extrapolate then on this, any similarities between the, that you mapped and, the, the, say, the human brain? Yeah, basically, I mean, we really don't know what's going on. I mean, there's canonical right. ideas of how brains work, and it's not obvious that those are right. And so as we get more information about brains, even these very small brains, we'll have a better understanding of how brain networks communicate amongst themselves. Can you give us an example? Like, what were one of the things that we thought that we found out is not right? Yeah, so, for example, one thing that we've been studying um, in a follow-up paper already is we thought in animals like Drosophila, the left side of the brain and the right side of the brain were pretty similar. In humans, we know that there's certain differences, but in Drosophila, we thought they were very similar. We didn't know how similar or, or the extent to which they were similar. And so we studied that, and we found out that the strong connections are very similar, but the weak connections are not similar at all. Okay, so can we test this somehow, or can we see if this is similar in the human brain? Yes, we can do that, and it has uh, interesting implications. So one of the ideas is that our genomes encode everything about us that we need at birth. And so there's a question of how much our genome encodes about how our brain develops. And um, one of the things that we've discovered here is that it may be the case that the genome doesn't encode things as precisely as we thought. And there's a lot more learning and development happening through random chance and environment that can impact how we learn and grow as humans, too. Okay, so now that you've got this map, then, what, what's the next step here? What is the next thing that you would like to say, okay, taking this, we can extrapolate what? Well, one project I'm very excited about that we're doing next is relating this to artificial intelligence. So you may know that there's a big hoopla about deep networks these days and um, things like ChatGTP are using them. And we can hopefully use this to understand how to train those networks more efficiently and to learn better and use a lot less energy and hopefully be more supportive. You know, Dr. Vogelstein, does everything always come back to artificial intelligence? I feel like for scientists and researchers, this is where all the research is at right now. Well, my real interest is in understanding intelligence writ large. And so that includes natural intelligence and artificial intelligence. And so my work spans both fields. This took 12 years now. Was there a bit of a, uh, at the end of it, you're wondering, like, what do I do now? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, we always knew when we started that this would come to a close at some point, and we have lots of plans for what to do. More animals, uh, more different species, more copies of the same species, different genetic perturbations to study diseases and things different ages to study development. There's like an almost infinite number of things to do now. Well, we'll have to talk to you again about this. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much for your questions. That is Dr. Joshua Vogelstein, an assistant professor in the Department of Biomedical Engineering at Johns Hopkins University. They just finished a 12-year project. And what were they doing? They were mapping the brain of a fruit fly, the size of a grain of salt, and it still took 12 years. They were able to image a single neuron per day. They had to use an electron microscope to image thousands of slices of this tiny, tiny brain. Just think about how intricate that work is. 
And that allowed them to see all the different pathways, all the neurons. And it it took them 12 years to finish the whole thing. And right up until now, apparently scientists had only done this sort of map for the brains of three organisms, two types of worms and a sea squirt larva. That's it. And so the fruit fly was the next step up on there. But who knew that you could learn so much from a fruit fly, you know? 